0: Uh, you into the others gang
1: Two sisters, both curious and strange Unlike a duo and they witty from the brain It's the magic hour,
2: Mercedes and Jay
0: Greetings, boys and babes. It's the magic hour, a place where we navigate through life's peaks and valleys with all the vulnerability and shamelessness we can muster. With the help of world-class guests from all walks of life, we uncover new truths and valuable tools for manifesting our highest potential. I'm your host, Mercedes Terrell, along with my partner in shine, Jade Bryce.
1: Hey you guys, we're doing things a little different today. We have opened up this podcast here on Zoom to the attendees in our men's workshop. So they are on live with us today and we will have the opportunity to ask our guests questions at the end of this episode. Uh, we've done this the last couple of episodes as well, and this will be the final one that we're doing it on. Uh, the four foundational principles we shared with our um, men's workshop earlier this week were largely collected from today's guest's work, and we're so excited to have them on. As a reminder, the four foundational principles we discussed in our Awakening the King Within workshop were practice rigorous authenticity, surrender the outcome, do uncomfortable work, and integrate with gratitude. And for those of you listening on the podcast, we've previously interviewed today's guest specifically about these principles. So if you're interested in that, go back and listen to episode number 64, part one and two. Yes. Highly recommend that.
0: And the first three of those principles, practice rigorous authenticity, surrender the outcome and do uncomfortable work came directly from the work of our guest today. And we're largely influenced by his own experience being a drug addict, working the 12 step program for decades and using these principles to not just get and keep himself clean, but also to create a simple and incredibly effective system, empowering even normies as he calls us. Normies like yep, us yep. to lead our lives, lead like our lives depend on it. And his truly game changing book, which I have right here in front of me, and I also have listened to on audiobook because it's that good. Uh, it's called Great Leaders Live Like Drug Addicts Do. It's been one of my biggest inspirations for stepping into my own authenticity and removing the masks I wear to try to people please, like the mask of saying yes when I should say no or hiding a weakness or avoiding difficult conversations or the mask of holding back my unique perspective. And not just that, but he's also been an incredible friend and mentor to me and perhaps one of the most important factors in us building this men's workshop since through working directly with him, he helped me to clearly define some of my own personal gifts and my direction for sharing them with the world, which... As you can probably assess, is a major factor in us daring to create a workshop and a curriculum specifically for men. and it's largely why we're sitting here in front of you today. So it's very fitting to have him with us to cap this men's workshop off um, awakening a king within. So, please allow me to welcome a man who is handing us the crowbar and showing us how to torque the mask we've been wearing up and off finally, giving us the freedom to be who we truly are. Please welcome Michael Brody Waite to the show. Yay. Yay.
2: Dude, I like the crowbar thing. Like, <laughs> why didn't I think of that? That's great. Um, I'm, I'm pumped to be here. And I got to tell you, like, I've never had more chills in an intro. So this is, this is starting off really well. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have no idea if the well, attendees or listeners are enjoying it, but I know I am. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we're super stoked to have you back. We, um, the first two episodes with you, or the, the first episode we had with you that we split into two parts was definitely very raw and, um, and you know heart moving. So I know we're going to experience that again today. Um, we've given our audience the ins and outs of the three principles in the last webinar we held, but I'd love to get some history from you or how you came to know about these principles and how they've transformed your life over the many years you've used them. I know we covered that a bit in the first time we talked with you, but we can just give a little brief um, summary again.
2: Yeah, sure. So you know, for me, being a drug addict was something I didn't want to be, but it was something that I couldn't stop doing every single day. And everybody in my life would tell me, hey, you have to stop, you have to stop, you have to stop. And the thing that I learned with addicts is you can tell them to stop until you're blue in the face, but nobody actually achieves recovery unless you tell them what to start instead. And so, you know, I'd been kicked out of school, fired from my job, evicted from my home, uh, my car was repossessed, my liver enzymes were through the roof. I was throwing up blood, and at the age of 23, I didn't think I'd live. And so, when I got into rehab as my last gasp attempt to like save my life, they told me what to start. And they gave me a 12-step program that's specifically designed to help an addict overcome their addiction. And so that became what saved my life, September 1st, 2002. And then as I grew in my career, I started to realize, wow, these principles are really effective at leadership. And most people are scared to practice them. And so for those of you who are not familiar with the 12-step program, there's... 12 steps. It's a much more in depth thing because an addict's trying to save their life. But what I did, and the reason that the three principles that, that, that Jade and Mercedes have, have taught you exist, is that's my way of trying to translate for the rest of the world what it means when a recovering drug addict is a leader and how they lead themselves, how they lead. Um, their people and how they lead their companies. And I'm very fortunate to be a serial entrepreneur and having been in all these different professional careers. And the one thing that's been consistent is without a college degree, without any connections or anything, these 3 principles made me a better leader than most. Not because I'm special, but because they're special. And so um, at you know, when I was preparing to do my TED talk, I was really trying to figure out how do I take these 12 steps, which is way too much for the average human to ingest. And how do I simplify this and make it really accessible to the average normie Mercedes? And uh, it came out with these three principles. And then um, I would spend uh, a, a week, a day, every week trying to teach it to people and refining how I taught these principles to people. And I started doing that about four years ago.
0: Yeah, you really are getting good at summarizing your whole, uh, story there.
2: <laughs> that like. So, so if you want like uh-huh. the very, uh, non-succinct version, that's essentially parts one and two of the previous podcast uh-huh. of the magic hour. Um, and I've got it down into two minutes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you worked your that's material.
2: Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I love it. So, um, and I do, you know, we said it in the beginning, but I do highly recommend anyone wanting to know more specifically about your background story, obviously picking up your book or listening to those um, first two episodes or or both. And because I want you news know, for, for sake of time, I want to make sure we get to cover a lot about specifically how we remove this mask from our face since we did a lot of working on the principles themselves. I want to get into what it even... Means to be wearing a mask, you know, like what does that look like in walking life so people can recognize it for themselves?
2: Yeah, so, um, and that's why the the first principle is practice rigorous authenticity. And a lot of people, uh, these days are talking about authenticity, and it's what I like to call authenticity theater or curated or selective authenticity. And you know, anybody can keep it real in front of grandma, but the question is, like, do you keep it real when everything's on the line? And that is very different and do you do it consistently and so rigorous authenticity is the practice of being true to yourself in word and action in every circumstance no matter the price and for most of us that is really scary so i i can't tell you how many times and i've distilled this down to four different behaviors that we do but like where we say yes when we could say no Okay. We say yes to a meeting, to a request from a friend, to our family wanting to live with us, like whatever it is. We say yes to something we could say no to. And I know that behavior really well because as a drug addict, I said yes to something that I should say no to, and that was drugs. And so the second thing that we do is we, we hide a weakness. So for most of us, when we're wearing a mask, we're not practicing rigorous authenticity. It means we're hiding a part of us that's struggling, a part of us that needs help. In the professional world, it could be just the simple act of asking for mentorship or training, but in our personal lives, like it's me going to my wife and saying, "Hey, I don't feel loved right now. I don't. I don't know, and I'm not sure. I feel like we're not connected." It's like it's a willingness to actually step outside that mask and share your weaknesses. And then, you know, seventy percent, and just in business alone, seventy, and this is a, this is true in personal Seventy percent of employees at companies today are avoiding a difficult conversation with their boss, a coworker or someone they manage. And that's before you start talking about customers. That's before you start talking about friends and family or all of Instagram. But we are avoiding difficult conversations all the time. And then holding back your unique perspective is so scary when the entire world can criticize what you have to say. Yeah. And for us, holding back our unique perspective feels safe, but it's the act of not leading ourselves because leaders take unpopular stances. And so these 4 behaviors are the behaviors that I've identified that we engage in the most. Um, when we are not practicing rigorous authenticity.
0: Yes. Oh, and it makes me think of like trying to determine tr- between subjective truth and objective truth as well. And like, I don't know, have you played in that world of how that comes up for you of being able to determine what's your truth, getting to the core, why that's your truth. And then, okay, can, you know, how do you figure out seeing what is actually the truth or reality since we often are creating our own, you know, we are creating our own reality, but at the same time, there is reality happening.
2: So. You know what? Um, so they told me when I got clean, uh, you got to wear your recovery like loose jacket. So I'm going to use a clothes metaphor. A lot of times I will look at clothes and be like, is this going to look good on me? And the only way I know is if I try it on. And I got to try on this, that. I've, so, first of all, I have a wide neck and short arms. So, everything I wear is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing fits correctly. And so, I have to try shirt after shirt after shirt to see what fits. Well, people will say, How do I find my true self? I'll say, I don't know how to find my true self. I do know how to spot when I'm not being my true self. Okay. And so, to me, it's taking these three principles. You know, we talked about practice, rigorous, authenticity. We'll talk about the other two in a second. But It's taking these principles and it's doing them over and over and over again. And so I'll give you a really practical example that is not, that is actually using these principles. Um, After I did my TED talk for about six months, I thought I was Tony Robbins. (laughs) And I just started like doing impromptu interventions on anyone that was telling me a problem that they had in their life. And so three of my best friends are all in recovery. And one of the things in recovery is we do not give advice. We only share experience or maybe give a suggestion, which is really like covert advice. And so after I did my TED Talk, I'm like, well, I'm going to practice rigorous. I'm going to be super authentic. And and I told them what I was thinking when they would tell me their problems. And each one over the course of those six months sat me down and said, Mike, you really hurt my feelings. It's kind of arrogant for you to think that you, you know what I should do. You didn't ask me any questions. You didn't share your experience. You just kind of told me what to do. And so I thought I was being my true self because I actually thought that I knew what they needed to do. But what I realized was that's what I thought. That's who I thought I was. That's what I thought I was. The guy I really want to be is the guy that's willing to be teachable and say, I may not have the answer and I want to listen. And also my best friends in recovery, they don't they don't like that. and And I want them more than I want to be the guy that intervenes on people <laughs> randomly at the grocery store. So, I think for me, it's a constant refining and it's using the system that we're going to go through today, not once, but over and over and over again to spot the mask when we're wearing it. And then we can take it off.
0: Oh, it's so, I'm so glad I asked you that question because I feel like that's just this frustration that anyone trying to do their own work and trying to sort through what's actually, you know, the the origins of their triggers and figuring out what's really going on inside of them has that struggle of, okay, I think I got the answer. And then you just like run with it. You become almost like a black and white opinionated. That's going to be it. And we forget that in order to grow, we have to be constantly a hypocrite. You know, like we literally have to be a hypocrite over and over again and go, shit, I just learned a new truth, which means I'm a hypocrite because my old truth (laughs) doesn't work anymore. And then be able to face that dissonance and move through it. And that is that like where you go from subjective truth to okay, I see the, you know, this is a new objective truth that you're realizing. Integrate it. And then you're gonna reach another one. And it's like, I I can so resonate with what you just said. Like I am definitely been that person who uh wants to like preach the new wisdom and the knowledge. I mean, we may, made a whole podcast about it, you know, who <laughs> wants yeah, me too. to show something to the world, but then is like, wait, maybe Maybe I need to like practice this a little more in my own life before I, and then also it's, I, you know, my realization was more about trying to fix people and trying to, uh, essentially covertly, um, uh, attempt to fix them so that I'm not happy to do my own stuff type of thing. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I asked that one.
2: I'm glad you like the answer. Cause I, <laughs> I want to, cause I mean, dude, I want to be liked and valued by you.
0: Yeah and that's and this is one of the beautiful things about you know working with you Mike and also just um, being able to interview you in front of people at this stage but uh is that you will call yourself out like you just did you know like your that something so simple like that, like your excitement on the fact that you got validation from an answer you gave that you were hoping, you know, will work out here, but that ability to call ourselves out in that truth, like those little micro truths, I guess we can call them is I think what builds up to getting really clear on what we need to be, um, to be a, a clear channel, like for, for the world or to that, that work that we're hoping to do in serving others and helping others to get to their own truth.
2: Totally, dude.
0: I see it. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. I think where I struggle with mask wearing is um uh when it comes to like doing things that align with your truth and are heart centered and, and instead of like doing things that may feel forced, but like going along with it anyways, because uh it's like what may make the most sense, you know, but it doesn't actually like there's that anxiety in your body because you know that like it doesn't feel right, but you're doing it anyways, like that's a form of a mask. And then uh, like, people pleasing is a big form of a mask mm-hmm. for me, too. Like, um, doing what it can be anybody, like, doing what um, may feel most comfortable for those around me, even if it makes me feel really uncomfortable. Um, but I was thinking one of my main jobs is um, I, I sell um, at like banquets, I sell uh, raffle tickets to like raise money for nonprofits. And I love my job because I love. Raising money for nonprofits. And I love, you know, um, I've been doing it for like almost 15 years. So I don't even have to think about it. It's like secondhand nature. So um, at this point, it's like easy to be top sales, but it is a bunch of girls like in the car with each other for hours on end, you know. Um, And it can also be very competitive because it's sales driven. So when you said, having uncomfortable conversations, when you mentioned that, I realized that that is a lot of what we avoid in our job is like, um, when there's an issue, people tend to go to the boss right away because first of all, it's a form of people, of, of people pleasing because, um, you're wanting her, you're wanting to like impress her by coming to her with an issue, because that means you're above the issue. Like, look, this person's doing this, which means like you're, better than that situation, you're, you're above that situation, you would never do that. So it's a form of people pleasing, but also if you would just go to the person directly and say, hey, um, I noticed that you get really, um, heated when someone has sales higher than you or, and this is a real situation, um, or like, your BO is a little off the charts today. And, um, <laughs> like you need to put more effort into that. Um, your like hygiene. any situation like that, when we're, huh?
0: Is it your hygiene? Uh
1: huh. Yeah, your hygiene. Um, we'll, we all wear a tanner and most of us like to wear organic, um, deodorant <laughs> too. And we're hustling on this floor, you know, but like, if we would just go to each other and have the uncomfortable conversation, not only would it, um, allow the other person to have more trust with us, um, but it would, um, it would bring in us more. Uh, first of all, it would raise the empathy because we're having to go to them instead of just go to the boss and you know get that person in trouble. But I re- I just realized when you were talking about that, like that is the root of the issue that causes so much drama in my workplace. Is we're all avoiding the uncomfortable conversation of just being able to approach that person instead of doing what's best for us and going to the boss where we not only get to avoid the difficult conversation but we get to be the people pleaser, you know.
2: Yeah. So it, well, uh, so 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 masks. check this so check this story out and it's a way to bring in the other two principles. So the reason that we wear the mask is fear. And mm-hmm. if someone's like, "No, man, I'm not scared, but you're doing something that isn't true to you and word in word and action." I got news for you. You're just not in touch with your feelings. You're freaking scared. So, I had a situation where um, I was building my first business. It was growing really fast. And I had hired my mom to be my director of finance. Uh, I'd actually interviewed her. She was like actually good at her job, I promise. And But we were scaling and growing so fast that she wasn't keeping up and she was starting to cause problems. And so, um, as someone who had worked at a, at a large corporation, I had I'd learned that as a manager, when someone's not performing, you have to do a performance improvement plan. And when you roll out a per- performance improvement plan, or otherwise known as a PIP, when you roll out a PIP, um, it's either you're going to get better or we're going to have to fire you. Basically, you move up or you move out. And so, here I am, knowing that I have to PIP my freaking mom in my business. And I'm terrified. I'm worried that like anything from she'll leave and then I'll have to do her work to she'll never want to have me in her house again and she'll never call me son again. And so I'm scared. And that's why these three principles aren't three individual principles. That's why they work together as a system. We all want to take the mask off. We all want to say no, share the weakness, have the difficult conversation, share a unique perspective. But we're scared. Someone or something scared scares us, so that's where learning how to surrender the outcome becomes a muscle. And I'm not talking about like you hear it and and you and you go, yeah, I should do that. I'm talking about like if you want to be ripped, you got to lift weights every day. And it's just a muscle that you have to freaking build. And to this day, I have done ten thousand hours practicing surrender the outcome. I teach people all around the world how to do it, and I still struggle with it because it's the scariest thing to do. And so we're going to go through an exercise on how specifically you can do that. But if you can learn how to surrender what will happen in this case, if I pit my mom, if I just surrender what, what I'm scared of will happen, it allows you to do this thing called uncomfortable work. And most people's potential, whether it's personal, professional, or spiritual is not realized and not actualized because they aren't doing their uncomfortable work. And a lot of people yeah, are like, what are you talking about, Mike? I work hard. I work smart. And I'm like, that's not uncomfortable work. Anyone has seen someone doing eight hours of harder, smart work, avoiding 10 minutes of uncomfortable work, having that very difficult conversation in one moment, and then doing all this other stuff out of the other moment. And so if we use these three principles, we can take that off. So what are you going to say, Jade?
1: I think there's such a um, an important piece of surrendering the outcome of, um, making sure you're still doing it in integrity because you can say surrendering the outcome and it give you an excuse to, well, if they get pissed, so what, or if I hurt their feelings, so what I'm surrendering the outcome. Um, and it's a unique situation with you and your mom because you're above her. But, um, say with the example I gave with the, the job, because we're, we're all equals, um, and it's important that we see others as our equal anyways. I think that it's so important to ask ourselves before the difficult conversation, how can I express my truth in a way that's helpful for the other person? Not just, well, I'm just going to express my truth and I'm going to surrender the outcome. So however they take it, that's on them. Um, instead, going at it with integrity and saying, how can I say this in a way that's truly helpful for them and not act like I'm above them, but and not act like I'm their boss and telling them like, this is what they need to do, or this is a change they need to make, but saying, hey, this is something I noticed. And this is why I think it's helpful to tell you. And I hope that, you know, you take it knowing that I have your best interest at heart. You know, I think that 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 is like um, an important piece of surrendering the outcome is making sure it's still with integrity and empathy.
2: And you're illustrating... Um, why when we teach people to do Surrender the Outcome, we have them focus on what they can't control and what they can. Because like, so you go with my mom, right? I couldn't control that she wasn't performing. And I couldn't control that my job as CEO was to pit my mom. I couldn't really control that because it was going to happen one way or another. I could control how thoughtful I was in preparing Mm -hmm. for the conversation. I could control when I had the conversation, where I had the conversation, how I had the conversation, whether or not I asked someone to role play with me before, so I could make sure that I was really thoughtful and, and stern, but, but loving at the same time. And I also could control whether or not I, I went in with this idea of surrendering her emotional reaction. And so, there are a lot of times we're scared of how something's going to go. And human beings by nature waste about 50% of our energy worrying about things that we can't control. I mean, hello, we just had an election in this country. And regardless of your political affiliation, after you cast your vote, you had no control. And how much time did we waste watching the news, reading the news or whatever? And so if you can reallocate that energy to what you can't control, exactly what you said, being intentional, being thoughtful, being able to communicate more effectively by surrendering the outcome and focusing on what you can control and ignoring what you can't, you actually allow yourself not only to do more uncomfortable work but to be more successful in achieving the outcomes that you want to achieve. But it's ant- it's antithetical to what we're taught. We're now we're taught we're not actually taught that we should be authentic, but people are kind of like, you know, ri- rising up and saying we should be, we just don't know how to be. And we know we should do uncomfortable work, like we know we should eat healthy, we know we should save money, we know we should work out. I know I shouldn't be on my smartphone around my kids. Like we know these things, but no one really teaches us to surrender the outcome. And it's the hardest thing to do because it goes completely in opposition of our fight or flight response, which is so wired into who we are. And that's why it takes such intentional discipline to build a muscle to offset it.
0: Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Coming to things with that background work is so important. And, um, and then it is about letting it go at that point. What happened with your mom?
2: Oh yeah, huh? Um, so uh, yeah, she punched me in the face, and I haven't talked to her since. No, um, <laughs> oh <my laughs> she she. So she luckily, it, you know, she's gone now. But um, she's she was a recovering addict too, and she's the one that taught me how to recover. So one of the people. So luckily, we had this language in common, and so um, she told me, "I am, so, <laughs> I am so angry at you right now." And, but I can't control how you see my performance, but I can't control if I do something about it. And, and then, you know, because she was able to communicate that truth to me right then and there, we were able to then have further conversations. And instead of spending all her energy on being a victim or telling me why I sucked or us getting into drama, uh, we started talking about how she could grow and, and she did. And, and so she grew, she grew, she grew. She grew and uh we were acquired by a huge company and after a year like we a lot of us transitioned out but i mean she she was part of our success and and a big part of it was that we had these principles in common
0: yeah is there times when that goes wrong for you like i'm sure in business you've experienced the opposite your mom happened to have some some wokeness there sounds like yeah
2: you know um i i'm thinking right now specifically about i had a um a contact. So when I was building my company, I worked with executives at health systems for hospitals. And I had a guy that was super high up at one of the largest health systems. And he and I had always got along. They used our software, all that kind of stuff. And so I approached him about an endorsement for my book. And he replied and said, and like basically read me the Riot Act and said, I can't believe that you're commercializing your recovery. And he's not a recovering addict, but he he criticized me. And so I I I, I had two options: I could I could say nothing, um, I could indulge an in anger reaction, or I could be really vulnerable and be like, "Man, like, it hurts me that you would think that." I I don't mean any disrespect. Here's here's actually here's the financial model that we're working on. I'm not making a dime right now. Like, I went into all that stuff and. Um, his reply was take me off your list forever.
1: Dang.
2: And I haven't talked to him since. And you know what? Like I would say that I was wearing, I, I, I wanted to wear the mask of hiding my unique perspective because he didn't like what I was doing. And then I wanted to wear the mask of hiding a weakness and saying, well, I, I'm struggling with this too. And all that kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, Hey, like, you know, he's not my mom, but maybe this will work out. And uh, and that relationship's toast. It's burnt. It's gone forever. And uh, and so I think that when I got clean, they told me getting sober clean will not solve all your problems. If you have ten problems, it's not going to solve those ten. But if you use, you have twenty. So like, it'll help you. And so living and leading mask free, taking the mask off, does not mean that there won't be damage. There is damage. Like, I, 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 in my book, my last chapter talks about damage that can happen. Um, I ended up having to give my ex wife a, a tremendous amount of money, like, as part of me wearing masks and all, and, and taking the mask off and all this kind of stuff. But those things are usually few and far between. It's unavoidable that people will reject us, it's unavoidable that things will go wrong. We can't control that we will experience failure in this earth. We can control whether we lead ourselves, conserve our energy, and manifest the potential that is uniquely inside of each and every one of us. We can control that. And the cost of that is we are going to lose some relationships. We're going to have some really awkward moments. And we're going to get some serious backlash. I had someone that called me a sociopath on one of my YouTube videos. It's not stopping me from carrying this message, dude. And But I want to tell you I didn't get hurt by it or bothered by it. I was. But that's the cost of doing business, and so that's the cost of taking that mask off. And you know what? It, the 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 battles when you lose them, they suck, but the war is totally worth it. Yeah. How many uh, army uh, you know analogies or metaphors can I use here? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: uh,
0: you, I'm I'm part of your I'm subscribed to your text uh, you know Monday text messages, and one of the things you've been talking about lately is like. is how you focused on the detractor in one of your seminars or one of your talks. And, and it got you all caught up and trying to convince this one person that was obviously having a, you know, he was the detractor. He was in, uh, what do you call it? Like denial or um, defensive of your, you know, he's just not on board. Right. Yeah. So, and then you realized Maybe you can tell that story. I'm sure a lot better than I can. But yeah, that then you ended up realizing, like, why the fuck am I focusing on? My energy is going to this thing, and of course, it's making it grow.
2: So it was like masks upon masks. So this, so homeboy was like not gonna ever be down with the mastery program. Okay, he was like good old Southern, arms crossed, like I'm stronger than God, you know. And he was just never gonna be into it. And the sad thing is, when I was doing this, uh, when I was doing this workshop. There was a guy that I wanted to like do my what I do is I'll I'll coach one person to coach everybody so there's a lot of risk because if that person sucks the whole thing goes off the rails. There was a guy that 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 I wanted to coach in front of everybody, but and then and he was sweet. But then there was this guy with the with the crossed arms, and my brain said, if I can't convince crossed arms dude that this is like a great way to do this that nobody's gonna think that this is for real. That like mask-free is an effective leadership strategy. And I like completely resisted all of my natural impulses. And so I tried to go coach dude that with the crossed arms that didn't like it. He's like, I have no mask. I have no problem. And I'm like, what the F do I do now? And I looked at Brooke on my team, like, what do I do? And she's like, I got nothing for you. And I spent like, I don't know, 30 or 40 minutes, like, which is a sixth of the time of the workshop trying to convince him. Um, and then later in the workshop, so it went off the rails. And later in the workshop, I coached the guy that I wanted to, and it was beautiful. And, and he was like, Man, I've got a CFO that's my good friend, and I haven't been having difficult conversations with him. And, and he went into all this stuff. So, I, so God gave me an opportunity to learn the lesson, and I didn't learn it. I, two days later, I'm in a workshop where the, the first group was the CEOs of companies, the second group is their like CFOs and directors of HR. And luck would have it that the director of HR for the person that I wanted to coach was also someone I wanted to coach. And I, again, didn't coach the person I wanted to coach because she said, no, why don't you coach this other guy? And the other guy like literally just stared at me with a blank face like, "I I don't have any problems. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why am I going to try to convince the detractor at the expense of this entire experience And so then I went and did six more workshops in Denver the next week. And that time I learned the lesson. I'm like, okay, I have to to change my thinking. I'm not here to convince everybody. I'm here to find the one person that wants to change their life and change how they lead. And I need to spend time with them. So now it's, I'm not going to spend time with that person to help everybody else. It's, I'm going to spend time with that person because that's why the fuck I'm here. And I surrendered whether we would get leads. I surrendered what they would think. I surrendered the, the detractor over there that I want to go convince. And I would go zero in on the person that would be down. And sure enough, we uh, we were averaging like one lead per workshop for a company to bring us in for training. And by the last training for 11 CEOs, I had 8 out of 11 ask me to come in and train their leadership teams on this stuff, simply because I stop trying to convince all the freaking detractors and just hold on the people that my message is for. Yeah. I, I will never stop relearning really- this, by the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ever. Yeah. Well, gonna, this so is going to be a loop. I love that you're in the... The anger of it too, like you know, it's it's a frustration to be coming up against it again and again because you only can point at yourself. Like, damn it, like I'm the I'm the problem, you know. Like I keep yeah. calling in this person essentially, and I keep trying to convince them of their own potential.
2: It's like why, uh, like why am I doing that? And the truth is, it's insecurity. It's if yeah. it, it's trying to control everybody. It's just it's so. And I, I won't stop. But what I hope is I'm able when I'm able to spot it. I'm spotted faster, can get better faster, and then I don't do as much damage.
0: Yeah, beautiful.
1: Mm. Um, I want to talk about why addicts have more of an advantage to living mask-free.
2: Sweet. I love talking about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but let, first, let me tell you all the things I want to convince you of, Jade, that you're not convinced of. <laughs> no. um, <laughs> so it, it's it's actually it's, so it's really simple. Um, I'm the wrong person
1: because he'd probably convince me on all of them.
2: Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, then then I would tell myself that I have to find someone in the audience that hates me, and then I have to convince them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And said, just completely use all my energy in the wrong way. So I, I think that... Here's the thing. I think we're now at a place where you know command and control leadership came from the military. And the world is no longer... Our military is no longer effective in its old command and control style, let alone our leadership structures. So people want authentic leaders. They want authentic employees. They want authentic companies and brands, but they don't really know how to do it. And the... People that are in charge want to be authentic, but it's still too freaking risky. And they don't really know what to do. So the reason that a, that a recovering addict has an advantage is for two reasons. Reason number one, I have the motivation that the average leader does not. Because it, before I ever became a leader, I was told that I had to practice rigorous authenticity, surrender the outcome and do uncomfortable work. I would fucking die. And so, the way I describe it is even with 18 years clean, I walk around this earth with a loaded gun pointed at my head that says, if I don't practice these principles, I'm headed down the direction of relapse. It could be, you know, at this point in my recovery, five years, but I'm still, I start building the muscle of not practicing these principles. I go back out, I die, and my kids have no father, right? Like that is a legitimate track that I've seen my fellow addicts go down. So I've got a, so I've got way more of an excuse than hey, we might get better results as a company or my employees might like me better. It's I don't care about any of that. I want to live. And so millions of addicts around the world are practicing a 12-step program in every country and every language and they're going to meetings and they're practicing these principles not cuz it's a good thing to do. Like Eating organic is a good thing to do. They're doing it because they'll freaking die if they don't. So I have a motivation that most normie leaders don't have. Number two, addiction is a terminal disease when not treated, and it isn't ever actually cured. It's just managed. And so it is a, a catastrophic, devastating disease that affects most of the people on this earth in some way. In a pandemic, finally, everybody understood what it was like to be isolated by a disease. And so one of the silver linings to this is that means that there are resources and places for recovering addicts to go to congregate in 12-step meetings and, and rehab centers and all these other kinds of places where we literally practice these principles Like people think we go into a meeting and for an hour, we complain about wanting to use like, no, we talk about how we apply these three principles to life. Like literally I talked to my sponsor about the workshop where I try to convince the detractor. He's like, sounds like you're trying to control the outcome. I'm like, no, I wasn't. He's like, okay. Yeah, you were. (laughs) And so, and so addicts, we have like When we first get clean, we have to do 90 meetings in 90 days. That means every day I have to go to a, an academy for training me on how to use these principles. And then they tell me if I don't continue to go to this academy to practice this and learn from all these people that are experts, I'm going to freaking die. And so the average leader doesn't have motivation and they don't know where to go to get this training. And meanwhile, as an addict, I'm desperate. So I go to a 12-step meeting in the back of some church somewhere... And so for a crappy cup of coffee, an hour of my time, I learn I how to be a better leader than most Fortune 500 CEOs. And so that's it. Anybody can do it. And that's my mission is to make it accessible to all. But, they, but if you will not have the same motivation if you're not a recovering addict because it's not life or death. Yeah. That's why my book says not lead like addicts, live like addicts. The reason that we lead the way we do is because of how we have to live. Mm.
1: This might be too broad of a question because it's obviously situational, but why do you think some addicts that go and hear this message don't move into that mindset and allow, um, you know, themselves to believe that they can do what you're doing?
2: So the elephant in the room question, which I'm grateful you asked. And that is, this is so great. Why do like 90% of addicts not get it and do it and relapse yeah, it and end like up the hurting people. So when I was in rehab, um, they, they told us all to get up in a circle and put our arms on each other. And they said, we want you to look around this room and know that 9 out of 10 of you are going to relapse. And so as you look around the circle, look at, for who the people are that you think are going to relapse and know that everybody's looking at you. And so I was like, wow, okay, that's pretty <laughs> discouraging. But, the, but they were really trying to help me understand like this is life or death and, and, and that it is not likely that an addict will stay clean. Well, what I have learned since is it's not a 90% chance that an addict will relapse. It's a 90% chance that we won't follow directions. These programs work, but we, but as an addict, I want to control, I'm obsessed with controlling my destiny, my fate. I want to feel the way I want to feel. I want to get what I want. I want to do what I want. And so when I walk into a program I have to do everything that is opposite of my nature, and I'm fighting muscle memory. I'm essentially fighting the muscle memory of instant gratification, trying to trade it for long-term gratification. And I personally believe that addicts suffer from a variant of obsessive compulsive disorder where we're obsessed with being able to control how we feel. And Mm -hmm. when you go into a 12-step program and you take the drugs away, and you start working the steps and looking at yourself, you're gonna feel some shit you don't wanna feel. And most people will default to their their patterns, their 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 muscle memory that they've been building up for. I know a guy, D- Dave C, that that you know he would always talk about. I'm I, I'm getting clean for the first time at like age 52. I feel like I'm so old to like get clean, but now he's like 68. He's got 16 years, and he had to fight a uh, half of a century's worth of programming for it to work. So I I wish I could say. You know what is the step-by-step on how to be the addict that's willing to do it i honestly don't 100 percent know what i do know is if they don't have enough of a bottom and they're not motivated enough they aren't gonna they're not gonna well they're not going to will they are not going to be willing to do all that stuff and then number two if they're not coachable and they're not willing to just do the program as described then they will not usually stay clean or sober and unfortunately nine out of ten of us try to do it on our own in some way i I would. I, I took a call from a guy that was like, "Mike, I want to get sober. I want to get clean." And and I'm like, "Well, have you gone to meetings?" He's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "You know, do you have a sponsor?" He's like, "No." He's like, "I just think the program's bullshit." I'm like, "Have you ever gotten a sponsor? Have you w- ever worked the steps?" He's like, "No." And I'm like, "Then you don't know. You can't call it bullshit because you haven't worked the program." He's like, "Well, I, I want to do it my way." I'm like, "I know. How's your way working?" <laughs> they they tell us your best thinking got you here, and. Anyhow, I could go off on this forever, but the problem is, is that we think that we know better and we don't want to follow directions. So we don't stay clean.
0: Yeah. And that for me as a, as a normie quote unquote, which I, I believe we all have some sort of addiction. I think we've talked about this before. Um, and I I can name many of mine, <clears throat> but for me thinking of it from the perspective of like, where do I, uh, where do I, what do I run to when I feel discomfort? That's really the question, you know? and. And why do I run away from accountability? Well, because that then I have to, if I ask myself to be accountable to something and then I show up and I have a sponsor that's making, you know, forcing me or not forcing me because no one can force me, but someone who's asking me to show up more fully in the pain and actually feel it, that's terrifying for me because I'm a scared child at the end of the day, we all are. And so putting the accountability in place or the sponsor in place is the factor that makes the program work, a large part of it, but I have to show up for the accountability in the first place. And I think that's like the way, what I'm getting from you when I hear you answer that question is like this piece of um, responsibility is what it is. Like, I think so many of us just go, oh, we're going to you know blame the world around us or victimize ourselves in order to not take responsibility for feeling pain. And that's, that's the terrifying thing is that we actually have to feel pain in order to move through it. And that's like the thing that I feel like addicts, anybody, just anybody is trying to struggle with in this walk in life because it is uncomfortable. But the people who are able to take responsibility for their own pain, sit with it. Like for me, what comes up is like pain, anxiety, depression. When I have to feel those feelings in me, I literally see myself like Trying to, I don't even know. For me, it's like watch a show, go shopping, uh, ask my husband to like comfort me in some way, you know, like all these things, which some of those, yes, you can use at some degree, but at some point you have to sit actually with the pain and feel what's going on and then, you know, move from that place and take responsibility for where it's coming up in you because it's in you. (laughs) Like it's not, you know what I mean? It's in you. Um, I don't know. Do you want to say anything on that?
2: Uh, i mean I, I i agree with you but the two things that came up just as you were saying that is i think if i were to more succinctly answer jade's question it's that addicts have trouble like everybody else surrendering the outcome mm-hmm. and that means surrendering how you feel surrendering how this is going to go um and then to your point mercedes i was just thinking we are really in a messed up era for humanity because The functional value and the utility of pain is to get a human being to stop something. Like that is the reason that we have pain, is to get us to stop something. But we're no longer out there like worried about a tiger, you know, jumping out from behind the bush. Well, I mean, maybe, but like a lot of us, unless there's tigers in in most of the suburbs in this world. um, Actually, I saw that there was one recently. So forget (laughs) if you're if you're the person that was in that suburb, forget it. But. We're, the, the basic existential threats that we had to suffer through, that we had to work through, um, we've, we've really you know, elevated Maslow's hierarchy of needs for a large percentage of the world, um, obviously not everybody. Um, and so pain's value is to stop you. And we just have a really uh, dysfunctional relationship with it because it, it doesn't help us because now it's like psychological pain. And it stops us the same way physical pain does, but it's really not helpful. Yeah. It it's, more it's not helpful that
1: pain oh sorry I think we had a lag here because all three I was hearing all three of us at once um I think that makes more sense thinking of it as like controlling the pain because for me and I, I mean there's definitely things I feel addicted to but I don't have an addiction to a substance but I feel like the these steps would give me more sense of control than a substance um except for when it comes to pain um so that makes more sense when you put it that way like it's a control uh when it comes to pain
2: and they do the pro like you're right they do the problem is is that working the steps subjects you to more pain than numbing yourself because mm-hmm. you have to have the difficult conversation as opposed to not do it or you're mm-hmm. like in 12-step program you have to do a four-step mm-hmm. inventory or make amends And so, and that, but but the thing is, is that that's what forces you to learn how to deal with it. And then you like become this great person, but for a lot of us, and and for me, there was a period of time where I almost relapsed. Um, It's, it's very, it's easy to do when I'm inspired. It's really hard to maintain.
0: Mm.
2: Novelty will always help become like some sort of um, anesthetic towards that pain. That's why, like, I guess, the, the Tony Robbins firewalk at the end, right? But the real question is, the person that did that firewalk, how are they living 15 months later when there's no more novelty, there's no more high out of doing it, whatever it is that they're supposed to be doing, and life in life's terms is hard. And that's where it becomes really hard. We see that uh, we call it the pink cloud in a 12-step program. After a year, a lot of people come down off of this pink cloud because now it's not new anymore.
0: That makes so much sense that it's really almost an addiction to novelty in that sense where we want yes. newness to distract us from feeling again. It's again, just trying to not feel pain, not feel fear. Um, and it makes me think of, well, I wanted to touch actually before I move on to my next question here about um, what you said about sponsors, because there's a program like, you know, you've worked this 12 step program, you have your own mask free um, uh, community and process and program in place for people to walk through and have that accountability that has some structure to it and has some ability to keep you coming back, knowing if you're doing things, you know, in a, in a process. Um, And we get like, you're talking about the addict who was like, I'm doing this my own way and I want to do it myself and didn't want to call in that accountability factor it is a thing that happens. I notice, like where we get comfortable asking our questions to the wrong people or to ourselves Yes, still, the time we <laughs> not necessarily like we want to trust ourselves, but we know that there are things in us that are, we're still like gaslighting ourselves. You know what I mean? We're not less yes. necessarily trustable yet <laughs> in some yes. ways. So do you see that you know it maybe and maybe you can relate it to more to normies in this situation because I know this wasn't a call specifically about addicts, but maybe you can cross that bridge or over for us and uh tell us how how you know when you're asking the right person a question, maybe, or you know, finding a sponsor that works for you.
2: I lo- so I love that question. So because um whether you're an addict or not, I think We are we're living in a world where most people are either intentionally or unintentionally seeking some level of confirmation bias. They want someone that's going to say, "Yeah, you're right," or "What you think is you know what you feel is right, what you think is right," and um, and so in 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 recovery, we call that um, looking for someone to cosign your bullshit. And one of the examples I have that's not about addiction that's just like what I think a lot of people go through. Um, is I, I called, I I had a perfectly good paid for Honda Accord in early recovery. And yet I wanted something new and intoxicating and I didn't want to get high. So I wanted to get like a nicer car. Mm. And so I went and called one of my good friends who is literally the worst person in the world with money and said, what do you think I should do? He said, "Get the car, man. It's just money." And he's got like he's in crazy debt, can't save a dollar. Like I knew what I was doing. Like I knew what I was doing. And so another version of this that let's say is you know not about money or, or car is calling the friend when someone has hurt you that you know is just going to agree with you that that other person is an a hole. Like they're not going to ask questions. They're not going to do anything. Versus calling the person that you want to call when you say, I don't know what my part in this is. Mm -hmm. And so I think for us, a big part of that is, are you willing to be wrong? Are you willing to experience the pain of being wrong? Not because you are, but are you willing to be inspected? And so like, I am very intentional these days where I won't call the person that will just agree with me. When I'm going through something. I will call the person that will, will lovingly help me arrive at the most objective understanding of my part and someone else's part in something. As a, I, don't want, I don't want the person that tells me I'm wrong all the time. And I don't want the person that tells me I'm right all the time. I, I want the person that has me and my growth's best interest at heart. And I think if you seek people in your life whether they're a sponsor or a friend or a teacher that you can go to on a regular basis that can say, man, I've been there before and here's some of the questions I had to ask myself. And you're open to that answer. That's real accountability.
0: Do you have experiences where maybe on both sides of that cause I think this is such a good place that you know, as humans just walking in life with each other, and we're trying to you know do our best at that. Um, and I think you know one of our most important things as humans that we all want is connection and community and be able to have these you know deep relationships and tribe and such. Do you have experiences that maybe you can share on both sides of that where you're maybe sponsoring someone, for instance? And trying to give them that loving, you know, mirror or however you want to say yep. being near for them um, and they retaliate. And then maybe on the other instance where you've retaliated, because you shared earlier in our conversation where you went to your sponsor and they're like, yeah, you, you, you know, you rejected what they told you. Essentially, you were like, no, I'm not doing that. And they're like, OK. And then you had to look at that later, you know, because they called you out on it. The thing I'm trying to get to is how do you keep coming back with a sponsor or your accountability factor to know that this person has your best interests at heart and is loving? You know what I mean? Like yep. or that you, as the sponsor for someone, how do you tell them, I'm here to help you? <laughs> you know, like this isn't yep. to hurt you.
2: Yeah. I think this would be hard, I think, for some people to accept, but for me it's so oh, it's I I don't trust people, I trust the process. Hmm. It's like, yeah, I trade one p for the other. I trade, pe- I trade people for the process. Human beings are imperfect, you know, failed, in many ways, beings that um, even the best people can have a really bad day where they have bad intentions.
0: Sure.
2: So to me, it's again, it's not about one moment, it's about the body of work. It's about if I constantly go to this person. So, like, I had a friend where every time I would go to them about um, my TED talk or my book, they would uh, start telling me why I shouldn't do it because they were scared that they were going to lose me as a friend if I became successful. I didn't know that initially, but I was like, I would get off of every call and be like, why does this feel so bad? Meanwhile, contrast that with when. I was trying to decide whether I should divorce my first wife after I'd found her lying yet again. Mm. And I went to a really good friend of mine and said, "You know, I can't tell if I'm supposed to be loyal and stay or if it's time to respect myself and go. And the entire time he'd been like, what's your part? What's your part? What's your part? So I'd really trusted him. And this time he said, I'm wondering what it's going to take, why you don't see that you need to go. Mm. But it's because in like 10 previous conversations, he had asked me what my part was that I was able to really trust that he wasn't doing the friend thing of like, I'm just on your side and I'm giving you like simple advice. And so to me, it's about the process. It's about the body of work. It's not about one transaction. It's about all the transactions and the themes that come as a result. And so, like, I had a, my first sponsor in 12 step recovery, seemed like a good dude, really liked him. And every time I called him, he would just talk about how much money he was making. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this is not what this is supposed to be about. And then I asked him to go over my step, and he kept canceling on me. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this isn't what, how this is supposed to go. And so, you know, after a while, I see the body of work. I'm like, okay, this isn't the best fit for me. Then I get a sponsor that, you know, is loving and shows up and takes me through the steps. And I go into his house and I say, you have a great house. He's like, dude, this isn't my house. It's on loan from God. And you can take it any moment and I'm good. And I'm like, I want what you have. And then, you know, I keep having these moments with him and I, and it's, and it's clear that his best to me, it's his focus. Let me say this a different way. I think a lot of us go, we want to be with, we want to be around people that are like us. Mm -hmm. I don't. I want to be around people that want to become what I want to become. And that's very different. I don't want people that are just like me. I want people that are committed to growing, to being better than they are because of two reasons. A, that's my personal bias. I'm not saying that's how everybody should work. But number two, if you're growth-oriented, that means that you're not going to just sit there and believe your own hype Forever, you may do it in the first conversation, you may do it in the second conversation, but eventually you're going to own your part. I just got into a verbal like altercation with a good friend of mine yesterday, like not like an altercation that makes it sound very violent, but like a, a mm-hmm. debate and where we both upset <laughs> each other, but we immediately were able to say, "Hey, you know what? this is what I think my part in this is and And we both did that, and that's what makes us trust each other. And it, I always go back to if it's like, I always believe what I always believe and I want everybody to believe what I believe, then I don't trust me and I don't trust you. But if I'm willing to challenge what I believe and you're willing to challenge what you believe and collectively we're going to challenge what we believe so that we can become better. I trust you a lot, even if we have moments that suck. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. And it is always back to that. What's the real question at the end of the day? Do you want connection with the other person? Right. And then it's like, if both say yes, then we can move from there.
2: Yeah, but it's about uh, the process damn, it's not hard the person. To get
0: there. The process is how. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, the process is messy.
0: Yeah. Okay, so uh we have gone down many rabbit holes which I absolutely loved. I'm so glad I I uh asked some of those questions and Jade had some in there too that I think were really really powerful. So thank you for playing with us in those arenas. But I want to bring us to back to this mask wearing thing. Because when I was working with you directly, one of the most important and powerful mantras that I took away from working with you um, and that you ever gave me and you spoke these words to me and I was like, I remember the moment I was like, yeah. And for me, you know, of course the context made it hit, but hopefully it will for someone else. And you said, action over insight, Mercedes, like you need to be focusing on action over insight, because I'm a person who can spin in the intellect of it. I can, I can fucking understand it. You know what I mean? But to get it into my experiential body and to actually integrate it, I have to actually make some moves. I have to create action. So how do we take action to begin removing our mask? I guess that's really what the the question is here. And maybe how you came about the action over insight mantra.
2: Uh, I learned that from 12 step recovery. That's literally a saying that we had. So like, I'd love to take credit for what I told you, but I was just (laughs) passing on something that was good. Um, but that was huge for me because when I got clean, my sponsor said, um, you can't be too stupid to stay clean, but you can be too smart. And he said, you don't need to ask me why, just ask me how, and what I learned was, especially in today's age where we have access to a lot of information you can get so paralyzed in your head and make this so philosophical that you don't actually go take action. And it's, we don't really know what's real until we go take action. It's all theory until we go take action. So, um, I think this might be a good foray or transition into the action card, um, potentially because like for me, it is always better to be thoughtful, Ask first some perspective from people I trust, and then go go take an action because I will get more information from that action. I will find out I will find out what works for me um, from a business perspective. Uh, a mentor of mine said, "Why make tomorrow's decisions with today's information?
1: Mm.
2: Like get as much information as you can. The way you get information is you take action." So, for example, if you are trying to like find the perfect love, the thing isn't to obsess over the Match.com profiles. Just go on a bunch of dates, like. Find out who you connect with and what you like, right? So for me, it goes to how do I break this down into really small steps that are really clear, so that these things that I'm throwing around my head, these things that I want to do to grow or be better, or whatever, instead of them being these massive thought processes, how do I go break them down into small steps, take a simple action, reflect, and then do it again, so that I can start to create serious momentum towards whatever it is that I care about, or just learn that it didn't matter. Like I once started a business where I spent so much time writing it on paper. And then literally the first step I took, I was like, oh, I don't want to run this business. It was a complete waste of time. And then my first date with my wife, I came back and even my mom was like, you're not going to marry the first person that you go on a date with after your divorce, Michael. Let's be real. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm just going on dates. Well, guess what? Ended up being my wife. Like... So I think there's so much power in mastering the process of taking little steps of action rather than overanalyzing. And so I don't know if you want, Do you want to go into the action card?
0: Yeah, that's what we're up with next. So uh, I'm going to attempt for those of you watching uh, to put this on the screen share, but I will warn you, this is my first time, t- time trying to do that really. So uh, bear with me on that. And as I do that, Michael, if you will walk us through the the what the action uh, card is in, in itself yeah. and then verbally walk us through for the people who are listening on the podcast as well.
2: Okay. So I was talking to, to someone the other day about this um, and I'm someone that is very uncomfortable ever saying something positive about myself because I don't ever want to be seen as arrogant, but I've grown faster than all of my mentors that I've ever worked with. And it's not because I'm special. It's because I did a specific thing every day for the last 10 years that is so freaking simple, but it'll change your life. And what it solves is the problem of, Hey, Mike, I learned something new that I want to do in a book or a TED Talk or whatever, or New Year's resolution, but I can't manage to keep doing it. And so what psychologists will tell you is that consistent awareness will actually is all you need for change. But for us, it's hard to keep consistent awareness. So what we're going to do is we're going to work this thing that we call a mask-free action card. And what we do with this card is we essentially memorialize a place where we need to take off our mask to live a better life, to reclaim time, to reclaim connection, whatever. And all we're going to do is read this card once a day. For 28 days. And by reading it, we will learn more about ourselves than we could sitting in a room thinking about what we need to do to become X, Y, and Z or to solve a problem. So I'll I'll, I'll make it like tangible for you. So the first step is you have to decide what mask you're wearing. So right now, think about it in your life. Are you saying yes to someone when you should say no? Um, Are you hiding a weakness? Are you struggling with something? You're not asking for help. Is there a difficult conversation that you're avoiding with someone at work, someone at home, your partner? Um, or is there a unique perspective that you're not sharing uh, with the world because you're scared of what people will think? And so on this card, the first thing that you write down is just practice rigorous authenticity and underneath it, the mask that you're struggling with. So literally, you just write, I say yes when I could say no. I hide a weakness. I avoid difficult conversations. Or I hold my unique perspective. One of those four, not all of them. You perfectionists out there will try to do all of them. Not all of them, just one of them. It doesn't even need to be perfect. Just write it down. And here's why that that act in and of itself is so powerful. Up until 80 years ago, if you were an alcoholic or a drug addict, you were going to end up in a jail institution or death. But what ends up happening is a bunch of alcoholics and addicts sat in a circle and they said, hi, I'm Mike, I'm an addict. There's so much power in saying what you're addicted to. And my theory is we're addicted to saying yes when we could say no. We're addicted to hiding weaknesses. So the first step is just practice rigorous authenticity. Write on a very small piece of paper. If you have a card, Um, practice rigorous authenticity. I say yes when I could say no. So that's number one. You're owning your challenge. Then the number two problem is, okay, well, if you need to say no, if you need to share your weakness, if you need to have that difficult conversation, if you want to share that unique perspective, the thing that's stopping you is fear. So how do you surrender the outcome? And what you do is you write number two, surrender the outcome underneath where you wrote practice rigorous authenticity. And I want you to draw a line down the middle, just like a couple lines down the sheet, maybe halfway down the sheet and put can't control in the top left and put can control in the top right. And just list one thing that you can't control and one thing that you can control about the outcome that you're worried about. So Mercedes, do you remember the the card that you did? Yes. So let's, let's give this, let's give the listeners uh, an example.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to kind of go over it right now in my head um, and I'm writing it down. So my mask was saying yes, when I should say no. And um, it was about what I can't control is if people will love me or not, if I Don't say yes to everything.
2: Um,
0: uh, What I can't control was... um, uh, I don't remember my specific card, but let me just think about it in the moment. I think Um, I remember. You do? Go for it.
2: I think so. So like, your challenge was you had so many different people that you wanted to help or interact with that you were having trouble saying no to certain groups of people. And so it was I say yes when I could say no. And so you couldn't control that you wanted to say yes, you couldn't control. And I don't remember which one of these it was, but you couldn't control that you, that people were asking, but you could control if you focused on who you wanted to help.
0: Yeah. I could control what I decided to spend my energy on essentially. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. And so like that. And so, you know, and again, for anyone that's going along with us, you can reach out to me through michaelbrodyweight.com. If you have a question, like in, you're struggling, but like, the, the key here is this is not about perfection. It's about practice. So you're going to write a jacked up card. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, because every card I write is jacked up. The question is, do you get in the practice of doing this every day? So you've written down your mask. I say yes when I could say no. I can't control that. I have endless opportunities. or A lot of people are going to ask me for my time. I can't control um, what I focus my time on. If your mask is hiding a weakness, you can't control that you have the weakness. You can control if you do something about it. If you're avoiding a difficult conversation, you can't control how someone will respond. You can control how you approach them, how you communicate. Like the example we used with Jade and with your unique perspective. Just like with me, that with the detractors in my workshops, you can't control that there are going to be people that are going to hate on you. You can control whether or not you carry your message to the people that were born to hear it. And so these are the can't, these are examples of things that you can write down in your can't and can't control. And so that's the second principle. So, first principle, second principle, done. So, the third principle is we now have theory. Okay. And so for Mercedes, it was, I can't control that, you know, I I could do all these things. I can't control my focus. So, the real question was, what is a specific piece of uncomfortable work that we needed to do over the next 28 days? Like something tangible and practical. And so um, I don't remember what yours was. I can come with an example.
0: say no to 10 people, I think.
2: Oh, there was, a, there was actually a contract. You had a contract yeah. that you needed to say no to. Yeah. That was scary as f.
0: That was scary as hell, for sure.
2: Yeah. So, 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 she, so Mercedes had a contract that had real good revenue coming in for her that wasn't in her focus area. And so part of her uncomfortable work was to say no to that contract. Yeah. I'm scared just remembering that.
0: (laughs) But it was, I mean, it was so good now, you know, now looking back on it, but at the time, it was like surrendering that
2: that outcome was terrifying. Totally. And so like I recently did this where I said no to social media. You know, And, and I was like, I couldn't control that. I don't like social media. I could control that if I focus on serving my the members of my program. And so my uncomfortable work was to create a video that explained why I was getting off of social media and to stop posting. And that was my 28-day uncomfortable work. If you're if you're sitting on one that's tied to weakness, it might be I need to go ask someone for help, mm-hmm. uh, and then you write down the specific person or the specific thing that you're going to ask for help for. If it's a difficult conversation, it's I'm going to go ahead and have that difficult conversation, saying I'm going to have the civil conversation, and you write the person. But the point is, on a piece of paper, you write the third principle: do uncomfortable work, and underneath that, you think about if I was going to practice rigorous authenticity. And say no, share the weakness, have a difficult conversation. If I'm going to surrender the outcome and not focus on what I can't control and only focus on what I can't control, what will like, success look for me in the next 28 days? What's one concrete piece of action that I can take in the next 28 days? And you write that down. And I'm not going to do the reflection because that's a little bit more advanced. But the last thing that you write down underneath that is why this matters to you. And so you got to think about why this matters to you. For, for Mercedes, it was that she had a calling and she wanted to focus on that calling. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I knew if I just kept saying yes to shit because of money or because of wanting love from those people that were asking and taking on responsibilities that I should be saying no to, I wouldn't ever reach the goal I was after.
2: So, and so same thing for me with the social media stuff. I had um, a lot of you know, people online, and then I had a lot of people in my program, and I was like, I can't serve both effectively. at the end of the day, I'm here not for uh, let's say ego or publicity. I'm here to actually change lives. and so anything that's detracting from me helping them, which creating social media content for me was because it's so bad, I'm so bad at it. um it was I need to double down on them. and so theoretically, if you're following along, you now have some version of an action card where I'm just gonna recap it. you've got. Practice rigorous authenticity Surrender the out, uh, is the first section. Surrender the outcome is the second section. Do uncomfortable work is the third section. Why this matters to me is the fourth one. Under the first section for practice rigorous authenticity, you've written what your mask is, whether it's saying yes or hiding a weakness, um, avoiding difficult conversations, holding back your unique perspective. Under surrender the outcome, you've written one thing that you can't control and one thing that you can. Under do uncomfortable work, you've decided on one concrete specific piece of action, that you're going to take in the next 28 days that is mask-free. And, and the tip here is it's not clear if you don't know exactly who it's with. You have to know who it's with and, th- and then it becomes real. And then why this matters to me is the last section you're just writing. Why, why does it matter to take this ma- mask off? Why does that matter to you? And so now you have an action card. I'll tell them what to do with it. But what am I missing anything for the group, do you think?
0: No, I think that that's great. I mean, I'm going to try and make it more tangible for for anyone listening as well to to see if I can put like a PDF link on the show notes, but I don't know if that's possible or not. So I don't want to promise it. Um, But I mean, it's broken down into those steps as we've gone over. So I feel like the idea is gone. We've got the idea across. And for me, and that reflective piece that you were talking about, a lot of it was about that action over insight and really just remembering to like, do the hard work of, and the uncomfortable work of saying no, or delineating what is actually getting me towards my goal and what is detracting from my goal, you know? So, I hope people use it as a practice because for me, it seriously changed my life, Michael. And having, I've had, you know, I wrote out my action card, just like we're talking about here. And yes, it's going to take you 15 minutes or whatever, you know, and then it's going to change your life forever. I put it on, I put a copy on my mirror where I brush my teeth. I put a copy on my, I have like a stand next to my computer. It's like places where I would see it every day. And then of course I was working with you at the time while I had this card in action and and uh, you were my sponsor for it. So like when every time I would say no, I had 10 no's I had to get. I think it was in a 30-day period or something. Yep. And so every time I would say no, I would have to email you because you were my sponsor I chose. And yep. uh, you would, we would communicate about what happened there, basically. And that was huge, a huge turning point for me to realize like where I'm filling my life with shit that does not on my deathbed. I'm going to be like fuck, I, I missed out on so much of what I was here to do because I was busying myself with stuff that I wasn't here to do.
2: Totally. Um, and so one thing that you just like pointed out, so we do have, there's more to the action cards of what we went through. We wanted to give you guys a taste. There are some additional things. So like Mercedes talked about it, where some people will also challenge, they'll, they'll, they'll know they have to have a difficult conversation with a specific person. But then to build that muscle, they'll challenge themselves to have like four difficult conversations or 10 difficult conversations over the course of 28 days. And then they'll commit to check in with someone about it. And one of the reasons that's so important is it fights the reward center in our brain that gets high when we say when we say yes to something or when we avoid a difficult conversation. Because essentially when we take off a mask, we're risking rejection from other humans. And so if you're If you're working with someone else, so when Mercedes would have to go say no, she would have to go send an email to me. She knew that I would value that, and so she gets. We get to be part of a tribe together of people that say no, fighting a world that's going to give you a lot of kudos if you say yes. And so that's a really that's why we need a sponsor when we go through it. And also, I go around now and I train all these leaders, all these companies, and at the end of it, after they create their card, I tell them like at least half of you will relapse, and the reason why is because you won't read this card one minute a day. And so you talked about putting it up where you brush your teeth, but I'll just say to anybody that wants to write this out and do this, the key is not doing it. The key is reading it. You have to read it at least 15 times over a 28-day period for it to have its effect because that's what it takes for it to become committed to memory. And then here's what it does. It rewires your fight or flight response. So the next time you get offered an opportunity, let's say that you want to say yes to, and you get scared of what'll happen if you say no, reading that card every day, reading, I can't control this, I can't control this, this is what my uncomfortable work is, this is why it matters to me, it will take you out of that fight or flight response, it'll stop the adrenaline from throwing, flowing through your body and you'll make a better decision. And so we've got people in our program all over the world now that are like, when I read this card 15 times, basically every day, the goal is every day, I got someone that you know couldn't make a cold call for four years. She's making ten thousand dollars a month selling. Yeah. Um, I got another person that's got you know a terrible boss, and they like left. Like, there's people that have changed their lives just because they read the card. So you have to read the card, and it just means that it's like one minute a day. So you got to put it somewhere you're going to read it. A lot of people put it where they brush their teeth.
0: And just bring it all together here of why removing our masks makes us a better leader. Like you're talking about this practice that's just like needed in order to get there.
2: When Michael Phelps came out and said that he struggled with mental health, I always ask these people, I said, did you feel more connected to him or less? Mm. And they'd be like, more. But like, that's what we want out of our leaders. We oh, no wow. longer want to be led by robots. When the dude could eat 6,000 eggs and win a gold medal every day, I couldn't relate to him. I couldn't feel connected to him. When he said he struggled with mental health, I felt connected to him and it made me want to learn more about him and be part of his world. Now, unfortunately, just him admitting he had mental health didn't give me washboard abs, but I, I what I know is it made me feel connected. And so we want leaders that will make us feel connected. And so the most effective thing as a leader that you can do is stop telling people what they should do. Stop pe- telling people what you have done. Look someone in the face and tell them, I'm in the shit right now. I have no idea how the story ends, but watch what I do and walk with me and watch how I lead myself. That is what we all want. Whether you are running a company or running a household or just running yourself, that is what we want. And so people will come spend time with you and follow you if you freaking do that. But it is hard.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for that. I want to jump in before we go into the Q and a to our little lightning round, but Michael, this is always so enlightening talking to you generally. And I just,
2: I love you guys.
0: I, we have such kindred spirits here. I just feel like I'm so glad we know you. Um, okay. So our little lightning round, which we did with you last time around as well. I want to see like if your answers are the same as last time or how you,
2: Oh yeah, me too.
0: (laughs) So if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say?
2: Oh, uh, this will probably be the same. Um, well, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I would just like go to him and be like, "Dude, you are about to go through hell, and you're going to want to kill yourself." But I promise you, the stuff that you think is the worst thing about you is going to become the best thing about you, and I promise it; it'll be worth it. Mm. How old are you? Really
0: good.
2: Seventeen.
0: Yeah. You said something a little different last time, but you, but same guy you were talking to. Same, yeah. same,
2: Michael. What did I say?
0: Uh, I think you just said you're gonna go through some really hard shit, but it's essentially the end piece you said was, um, the same. So you're be the best thing, yeah. The worst thing about you is going to end up being the best thing about you. So just kind of hold on, like you're gonna, hmm. it's gonna be all for a good reason.
2: I think, and I oh, think that's yeah. true for everybody. If Your you
0: could
1: like the that. whole world read one book, which would it be?
2: I'm a fanboy. I would say, I mean, well, yeah, Give Some Imperfection by Brene Brown. And I'm going to cheat and Is add Daring Greatly by Brene Brown because I see them as mm-hmm. one long book that are really that, like completely changed my life. Exactly. Is that the same?
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I mean, and, and now, you know, even when I'm speaking, like I'll be in front of a group of like CEOs of billion dollar companies and I tell them, I say, anyone that's familiar with Brene Brown, I just want to be clear. Uh, I love her. I think her work's a little academic, so I try to make it action-oriented. But let's be clear, if I were to meet her, I would pee on myself and then everybody (laughs) laughs.
0: laughs.
2: And it's true, I would.
0: Okay. And the last of our staples is, if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be?
2: What if the worst thing about you could be the best thing about you? I mean, I if you, you know don't. me, what you do, I wouldn't be able to say just one sentence. <laughs> so <laughs> this is supposed to be a lightning round. and It's been like 20 minutes. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> My, what I would whisper is Mike, shut up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no, it's so true. Mm-hmm. I think if we could just ask that question, just like, I think questions are so important, you know, like just putting them out there. It's not aggressive enough where you're, you know, you're having to like, not with an answer involved, just the question itself. Like what if the worst part about you could be the best part about you? Like how might that unfold and let your subconscious do the rest for now? Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. All right. So then um, before we jump into the Q and A, I just want to make sure we get all the connections of where people can find you out there on the interwebs. We know your social media presence is involved, but it's not as uh, hefty as you might've had it one day, but I'm still following. And I still enjoy um,
2: it. <laughs> all, all my stuff is up. I don't post much, if at all. But um, the way to, the best way to find me these days is you can, can... I still monitor them if people send messages. But just go to michaelbrodyweight.com. Um, and that's B-R-O-D-Y-W-A-I-T-E uh, with Michael in the front. Um, and you can just send me a message. I check all the messages or my team will send me the messages I need to respond to or whatever. Um, and then I host a group coaching every Monday night um it's called the mask free society and it's every monday night at 6 p.m. central and so if you want to come check it out um that's a way where you can hang out with me live and then if you want to learn a little bit more about this stuff you can check out my book and you don't have to go to my main website you just go to greatleaderbook.com um greatleaderbook.com and you can get uh you can get all the links to find my book that way
0: yes i highly highly recommend the book the audiobook which i love that you did in your voice yeah,
1: um, that made me That
2: was too. not easy. Yeah.
1: Like as
0: soon
2: as it
1: started, I I was like, yes,
2: he did it in his voice. <laughs> I had to um, drink so much tea. <laughs> I was
0: just going out. So
1: let's go ahead and jump into our Q&A. Um, the first question from Ryan, what advice would you give the men listening today when it comes to calling in a mask-free romantic relationship?
2: What do you think Ryan means when he says calling and trying to, trying to make sure he has well, one?
0: Uh, calling in like um, bringing it into his life like getting a relationship with someone without a mask or you know well no one's probably not got a mask on but
1: calling in a relationship that especially in the beginning of the first dates and all that we're all putting our best face forward
2: oh yeah totally Um, so I, I would just say identify the mask of the four that we've talked about today identify the one that you struggle with the most And be willing to share about it consistently, vulnerably, and often with your partner, whether you're with someone today or you're on a date, because that will do two things. First of all, it'll help you not wear a mask because you'll be leaning into the thing that you struggle with. But what happens is when you go first and you take off the mask and you vulnerably share, hey, I struggle with X. It creates a safe space for the other person to do the same. And if you're on a date and the other person goes, well, that sucks for you and you suck and you're weak, then hey, you know that that's not the kind of person that's going to have a mask-free relationship. That's probably not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is that person's going to go, wow, this person's real. Okay, I can be real. Here's, Here's the thing I struggle with. And that sets a tone. And even if you've been in a relationship for years and you haven't done that, if you just are in the practice of identifying your mask and sharing it, if you create a mask-free action card, sharing the card with someone, it not only helps you live more mask-free, but you get to lead them by leading yourself. Yeah.
0: I love that. It's like you call in what you are, essentially.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, what you, do what you want.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You want a mask-free relationship? Be mask-free.
0: I love that how you just reframe the phrase do what you want. Cause I think that's such a phrase that people can use to be completely A-holes. Yeah, a-hole, a just narcissistic. Yes. Yes. Like, I'm doing what I want. Like, no, this is for you know, like the, and then you make it into somehow it's anyway. But yeah, what I uh,
2: want I is not to share my weaknesses.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And what what you reframed it as is do what you want, as in do the thing that makes you who you want to call in. That's yes. really beautiful. I love that reframe for sure. Um, okay. So this one says I'm not religious by any means. And I've heard you talk about making your surrender accessible through letting go to a higher power. Um, so do you have any tips on how to actually do that? Especially it sounds like for someone who's like not subscribing to a specific dogma or whatever.
2: Yeah, for me, um, when, when I got clean, I was an atheist and, and I went into treatment and I saw the 12 steps. And in the second step, it says, came to believe in a power greater than ourselves that could restore us to sanity. I was like, I know what you guys are doing. You're talking about God. Mm-hmm. I'm not down with this stuff. And so, um, what, what they helped me understand was surrender. It's hard to surrender if it's not to a higher power, but that higher power doesn't have to be the traditional God or religious construct. And so I was like, okay, so what are you saying? Like the Dalai Lama, like whatever. They're like, no, literally it could be just the fact that there is a 12-step program that works for more people than just you. So it could be the process. It could be the group of people. And and so when we think specifically about surrendering the outcome, one of the things that our uh, people in our program do is they like, um, like reps in a gym, they constantly fill out a sheet with what they can't control and what they can control to build muscle memories. I got a guy in my program that literally does it once a day just to build the muscle memory. And and so while that isn't religious, he's surrendering to a process that is is more effective than he is at surrender. And so he's able to surrender to that exercise. He's able to surrender that process. And he's able to then meet other people in our program that are... You know, doing the same thing, and then all of a sudden people go, Wow, this really works. And now you're really surrendering to a higher power. And it's not another person, it's not necessarily even just a tool, it's just a way of living. So um, I remember walking around and turning to one of my good friends, I was like, Can my God be a woman? Because I relate to women a lot better. And he was like, Yeah, I was like, But what if tomorrow I wanted to be a bear? He's like, Yeah, sure. Like your higher power can be whatever you want. And so I would say it's just important. What I was taught is it's just important that you're not the higher power. Mm-hmm. That's what's important. And so it doesn't have to be God, it can just be something that is effective that works. Like I don't know how to pasteurize milk, but I know that it works. <laughs> like that's a really <laughs> random thing to say. But so so I drink it and I trust it, and I'm surrendering to a higher power that knows how to pasteurize milk, even though actually I shouldn't be drinking dairy. It's a terrible example. <laughs> I hope that helps. I hope that helps that person ask ask that question. I think
0: it does because otherwise we become this uh, all knowing narcissist essentially. And then there's no ability to. F
2: that. Yeah. There's no freedom in that.
0: There's no freedom. Mm -hmm. It sounds painful, literally.
2: (laughs) Yes. Well, uh, no, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't sound painful to a lot of people. It sounds painful to those of us that are enlightened enough to know that ego is a source of suffering.
1: Yeah. But when we're trying to control others, we're basically playing God. You know,
2: oh, so that that would be very, very hard to do. I would think to try to control everyone.
0: Not to mention the amount of responsibility and energy that that would be <laughs>
2: taking from. Way it. too much.
1: So, Jay, do you have that last question? I'm going to summarize it for him because it's really long. He's 50 years old and he's been married for 10 years, and he doesn't feel valued by his wife. Basically, he just feels like a weekly activity,
0: like on her to do list. He,
1: yeah. And he has many people tell him that he should do something about this, even relatives who, you know, have witnessed it, but he doesn't like confrontation and does not have the confidence to have this talk with her. He's also wondering if this is just because they've been married for 10 years and maybe, you know, this is just part of this long relationship. Um, but he feels that she's only with him, for, you know, shortly. And he really wants our feedback on this, how he can go about solving this problem in his marriage, or if this is even a problem, if this is just something that comes with a 10-year marriage.
2: I think a lot of people tell themselves that that's what comes with a marriage, but I don't think in my personal experience, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think what, what is more true is people don't know how to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people can relate to having something that is challenging in a relationship. It doesn't even have to be a marriage. It could be any romance, even a friendship. Having something that is a challenge, having something that's affecting you and not addressing it. And so I think, of course, I'm, so first of all, anybody that gets all hyped up and teaches you something is going to think their way is the only way. So I'm going to preface this by saying my way is not the only way. But the way that I would tell someone to do this is I would tell them to create a mask-free action card. Shocker. Where their mask is, they avoid difficult conversations or they, or you hide a weakness if it's really about you're scared that this will make you look weak in front of your wife, or is it you're just scared to have the difficult conversation? And then I would think of what I can't control and what I can control to surrender the outcome of that conversation. So, what I hear, what I heard in that question, Jade, was some insecurity around having that conversation. So, I would say to this person, you can't control that you have to have this, you can't control that you have this problem. And you can't control that you feel ill equipped to have this conversation. You can control whether you address the problem. And you can control if you ask for help from other people on how to have an effective conversation around this. And the last thing is you can control whether you have it. And so you can control, and then going deeper, you can control how you have it, where you have it, when you have it. And so, literally, for a lot of people that I will, do this with, they'll be like, oh, I could go to a friend that's been through this before and ask them for some coaching on how I have this conversation. And it's like, yes. So you can control whether or not you seek best practices and how to have this conversation and, and whether or not you have it effectively, like we talked about earlier. And then um, for your action card, I would put under your uncomfortable work, I would put in the next 28 days, I'm going to maybe two pieces of uncomfortable work. Number one, ask someone for help on how to have this conversation effectively and then number two, I'm going to have it. And why this matters to me? Because I want to have the marriage that I deserve. Absolutely. And I don't want to put words in their mouth, right? But something like that.
0: Well, it's, and also, you know, I want to just speak to him directly here and say, like, you came here to, to this workshop, signed up for it, paid for it, dedicated your energy to come and watch this specific call we're on right now, and then ask this question and man you're showing up in so many ways like vulnerably with your truth here sharing it with strangers you know so to speak and and then allowing us to give you some sort of information here what you do with it is of course your are up to you but i just want to like commend you for at least seeking this support and i think what michael's talking about here is like okay now Go further, like figure out how now you take that into the rest of your life into something that makes it even more tangible so that you can have this difficult conversation and approach this because you're realizing your need is to feel truly valued by another human being. And by the way, that is a Totally reasonable need. All of us deserve that. All of us, um, just by being here on this planet, deserve that. So uh, you know, and you working you wanting to work through it is huge. So I say you're already in the right energy space of working through it and towards it. Keep going, bro. I love that you brought it to us. And I think what you said, Michael, is spot on. Yeah, and I
1: I want to say too that um a 10-year marriage can very much feel like a new relationship with the right tools. Um, and one of those is this effective communication that um, Michael is um, encouraging you to do, as well as, you know, surrendering the outcome and taking off the mask. Um, you can also, what I think we've learned so much when it comes to reigniting a fire is when, is um, using polarity. And you can go back and listen to Justin Patrick Pierce episode or London Angel Winters episode, because they are someone who has been in a marriage that's over 10 years and has children and they have kept the juiciness alive through their, their practice called the yoga of intimacy. So I highly recommend um, you go listen to that as well. And, um, you know, talk to your partner about doing that dance with you.
0: I just wanted to say to Michael, before we end the show, Jade, that you have been such an incredible light in my life. And I know Jade shares that sentiment as well. And you are seriously doing work that is, creating like a huge ripple effect. I know I've said it to you in other ways before. And I know, you know, reading this book has been powerful for me. Working with you directly has been even more powerful for me. So there are definitely like levels to be able to to open up with someone like you or anyone else that's even to answering that question that we just were like, if you're seeking in that direction, you will find these humans that will come into your life. And you're one of those for me. So I'm just really... Mm-hmm glad to know you and glad you are alive, That you did survive all the things that were trying to drag you down in the beginnings of your, your, uh, awakening, let's call it. So I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being a light Thank in our you. lives. Uh,
2: I, I started this with chills and I'm ending with chills. Thank you. It's, it's <laughs> a, you, you, Hey, you guys helped me so much in my journey, trying to get my message out there because you're so effective at getting your message out there. So I feel Mm -hmm. like we helped each other a tremendous amount. We mentored each other. And there were some moments where I came to you and I was like, dude, I don't know what to do about this stuff. And you were able to really help me through that. So I think um, everything Mm -hmm. you just said is mutual for, for, for both of you.
1: Appreciate you. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for coming on again. I know that, you know, you'd already been on, so you already got, you know, the exposure that, you know, we were able to give you and you were willing to come on again and just have the, I didn't come for the exposure the
2: first time. And I'm not coming for the exposure this, this time either.
1: Yeah. That's what I was getting to is that you're not, you know, just doing this for the exposure. So it means a lot that you came on a second time and had another amazing conversation with us. So thank you.
2: Yeah, Um, you guys rock.
1: Yeah. All right. So Magic Mobbers, thank you so much for tuning in and taking this journey with us. If this episode held some magic for you, please share it with your friends and family. This would mean so much to us. And don't forget to join us on our Instagram page at The Magic Hour and let us know what your favorite episodes have been so far. We appreciate all of your feedback and really want to know what is lighting you up.
0: Yes, fam, we release a new episode every Monday, so you can catch us again next week or go listen to some of our past episodes in our podcast library now. We gave you a few good ones, so you've got a, you're already building a library, I'm sure, just listening to this particular episode. So until then, fam, be a light. Be a light. Quick disclaimer. We are not medical professionals, so following any of our protocols or advice should be done at your own risk, people. And please remember to always, always do your own research. Tap into that extraordinary growth mindset we all have access to within ourselves and seek out your own answers. Come on, guys, you know, you know the deal. And by the way, if you are a medical professional or an expert in any topic we cover and you feel we are not giving accurate information about it, Please find somewhere to contact us. Contact us via social or email us at our website and let us know. A major goal of ours in doing this podcast is to bring value to people's lives by sharing helpful insights and info. So we welcome being corrected at any time and we'll be happy to share any of our fuck ups with our listeners so as to get us all back on track to discovering our happiest, healthiest selves.